episode number eight. The card is going to change. Presented by AIW, Absolute Intense Wrestling, based in beautiful Cleveland, Ohio, and sponsored by Smart Mark Video and the This Is Awesome Wrestling Show. Make sure to subscribe. Get iTunes, Stitcher, and the Google Play Store. Follow AIW on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and visit AIWrestling.com for events, merch, and more. I'm your host, Glenn Morton. Joining me in studio, like always, we have co-owners of AIW, John Thorne and Chandler Biggins. And this episode, obviously, there's always talk of you know how you book a territory. But what I want to know is how do you book the territory guys? And John Thorne, I'll throw it to you. This is going to be episode. A lot of old school guys involved in this episode. I, you know, love old school guys myself, and I want to know how do you book a territory guy? Well, the majority of them, <laughs> you have to find a landline that uh, is currently in operation. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, definitely some detective work. Yeah, like it's not like booking a you know a modern indie guy where you can go to their Twitter and find their email and or their Facebook or there, there's so many ways to get a hold of these guys. Like uh, some of these people that we book and we have been booking lately it takes a lot of detective work and asking people and you know trying numbers that don't work and you know there's no no way any of these fucking guys own a computer i don't think and it's like the seven degrees of kevin bacon like thorn finds out that this guy has this guy's number that has this guy's number that knows terry funk yeah so you know, uh, like this is more probably a uh, Biggins department than my department because he's the biggest Memphis wrestling mark probably on the planet. Oh, love it. But, uh, you know, like the, the Memphis influence is uh, 100%, uh, you know, Chandler Biggins' fault, whether you like it or you hate it. But hey, uh, I love it. So sorry, some guys. people love it, some people hate it. But uh, either way, I think it makes AW stand out because it's so fucking weird, uh, especially booking some of these people. Um, I would say probably, you know, the the first guy that we could talk about, which, you know, Biggins could discuss way more than me because it's uh, a Biggins guy is uh, booking uh, Colonel Robert Parker, Robert Fuller. Well, like, you know, we talked about in earlier episodes, Thorne kind of has his contingent of guys and I kind of have mine that, uh, you know, if we have a date, we kind of contact. He, he contacts his crew. I contact uh, my crew. Luckily, uh, the colonel, he's now on Facebook. His wife runs his account, but he, she talks as him. So now I can just send his flights right to his Facebook. But before, I had to uh, actually call him uh, on his landline or cell phone. Yeah, how do we get his number? Well, we booked Bunkhouse Buck. Well, we'll start at the beginning of Bunkhouse Buck. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we got to the I thought, point. I thought I forgot that uh, Bunkhouse Buck came came before Colonel Robert Barker. yeah. And uh, we got to the point where we started booking people we love that we think other people might care about. Like, uh, Thorne's pick was Scott Hall. Well, my pick for the December show was two guys that I loved as a child. Uh, Dare I say your favorite wrestler? Uh, yeah, one of them. Bunkhouse Book uh, and Colonel Rob Parker were some of my favorites in about the 93 to 95 era of WCW. Uh, so anyways, we see we get an email from like an agent saying... Uh, there's this talent available and on the list is Colonel Rob Parker and Bunkhouse book. And it never had crossed our minds, but we had brought it up before as jokes. And, and one of those, one of the weird fucking things about us, I don't know if other promoters are like this, but we just love knowing what people's fees and rates are. Just <laughs> even if we never, ever, I think fucking, every person that gets fired, we email. Yeah. Like never, like people will never, ever fucking book. I just have to know what their fee is. Like, I, I don't know why, just fast. I just love. I just love having that information in the back of my head. So we get this list from this agent, which and it probably has 
a hundred names on it. Which you never want to fucking go through an agent because it's always going to be way more money and they're not going to negotiate with you. But this email from this agent puts kind of this this bug in our head like, hey, okay, let's let's try to find some of these fucking guys and then... Because because the idea was that Jock Sampson's kind of an old school guy and Dick Justice is kind of like a guy who could go back in time. Yeah, like he want like... You know, some people love Dick Justice. Some people hate Dick Justice. Some people think he's just like a comedy act. But Dick Justice wants to be more than anything is a wrestler straight out of 1977. Like Dick Justice wishes that he was fucking born, you know, 30 years, 30 years ago or actually 60 years ago, probably. So we would have been 30 in the fucking territories. (laughs) And, uh, you know. Because that's the shit he loves. He just wants, like, he wants to be that. If I had a dollar guy. for every time he tried to get the Boogie Woogie Man booked, oh yeah, like this is like Dick Justice loves Memphis wrestling just as much as Biggins does, and you know, Jock Sampson, I think, is convinced that he is from the fucking territory. I think he got hit in the head too much. He thinks he's <laughs> yeah, like, like an old school guy. That's, that's some kind of fucking amnesia shit going on with Jock Sampson. Like he has no, like I can't even believe he's a real fucking person, but. You know, we start this email puts this bug in our head because I think we had pitched some other guys, but none of them ever worked out. We're just because, you know, this goes back to we've talked about before is like, how can we be the weirdest fucking promotion on the planet? Because everybody books the same 15 indie guys. Let's do fucking weird ass shit. You know, uh, let's just try to think what can what can be weird and. Something that I never probably would have gone for before, Biggins is like, let's book Bunkhouse Buck. And then he really starts fucking like, like amping me up. And like, he sends out like these feelers on Twitter and stuff. And people are like, oh man, Bunkhouse Buck is the best. I hope you guys are booking Bunkhouse Buck. So I'm like, and right. we were just like, we weren't even that serious at the We were time. just fucking around, like just making jokes on our personal Twitter accounts. And people were like into it. So I was like, all right, let's fucking find Bunkhouse Buck. And we start asking around, and I think it might have been Adam Lash. I think he talked to Bo James. Who got a hold of Bo James. Or no, it was it was Anthony Lucasio who works for TNA. The 98-pound loudmouth. Yes, the 98-pound loudmouth. Uh, he runs the merch for TNA. He, he also got a hold of Bo James, and Bo James gave him a landline number. For Bunkhouse Buck, because Bo James, the king of Kingsport, by the way, the king of Kingsport, uh, and you know Anthony Lucasio, he not only does he run merch for TNA, but he's like the he manages on every fucking indie in fucking Tennessee. Like he does all these weird loops when he's not working for TNA, so he knows fucking everybody. And he's like, oh yeah, man, I see Jim, I I seen Jimmy a couple months ago talking about Bunkhouse Buck. He's like, I'll get your, I'll get his number in fucking twenty four hours. Well, I think maybe an hour later, he fucking shoots me a Facebook IM, and he was like, uh, here's uh, here's Jimmy's landline. Uh, so I know that this is like Biggins is like fucking idle. So I go, here you go, man. Here's Bunkhouse Buck's phone number. Let, let's see fucking what happens. Yeah. So I call this guy, and I go, is this Jimmy Golden? He goes, I don't know who's calling. I said, is this Jimmy Golden? He goes, I don't know who's asking. I said, I'm a promoter in Cleveland. I'm looking to book Jimmy Golden. He goes... Where? Cleveland, Tennessee? I go, no, Cleveland, Ohio. He goes, oh, what do you need? And I said, well, I want to book you, sir. And he goes. Well, then he finally admitted that he was Jimmy Golden. Yeah, then he goes, (laughs) oh, yeah, this is bunkhouse. (laughs) So then he goes, I want X amount of money. 
and it was outrageous. And I go, well, sir, I just got an email from an agent saying X amount of money, you know, way lower. And he goes, oh, yeah, I signed up for something like that. I'll come in for that. No big deal. So then I go, well, sir, you know, I want Robert Fuller's number. You Which know. he knew he had you because you kept calling him sir. Oh, I'm trying to be respectful. Yeah, <laughs> no way, dude. You just going to say, hey, f- I want to fucking book you. So anyways, uh, I go, well, do you have Robert Fuller's number? I know that's your cousin. I would love to, you know, pair you two together because you were both on this email. Well, Fuller. And because you love the stud stable. Stud stable's the best ever. It's the GOAT, the greatest of all time. So he is fumbling through paperwork like a, like a notebook. And he goes, yeah, here's Robert's number. So I call Robert, no answer. Uh, the next day he calls me. He goes, sorry, I didn't get your phone message yesterday. I was out at the pool. I'm the president of the pool association. Uh, so I talked to him and he goes, I'm not taking any dates. I don't feel like it. And I go, well, you know, we have Jimmy. It's going to be a good thing. You know, we're big, you know. I'm a big, you're my idol, everything else. <laughs> Colonel Robert Parker is yeah. my, you're my idol. He says no, so he goes to, you're my idol. Yeah. After and you calling the other guy, sir. Booked you, him. You don't know how to, like, oh, man, you're breaking every promoter rule in the book, man. <laughs> but you know what? Got him in Cleveland. He didn't want to come. He's mad that there's no nonstop flights to Cleveland. He was mad about everything. Sir, you're my idol. Oh, man. Man, this is like, this is like. Promoter 101, do not do this. This is why I book everybody I book via text, but you can't book these fucking guys via text. <laughs> yeah. They don't even have cell phones. Yeah. Well, they got to Cleveland. They fucking loved it. Uh, Bunkhouse Buck, we're going to have to get him back at some point. Uh, but the last time we tried to book Bunkhouse Buck, he was trying to fly in all day from Knoxville, which uh, Knoxville, I think you got to fly about three different ways with three different layovers to get to Cleveland. And he calls me at 8 o'clock, and he goes, I'm in Ohio. And I go, well, where are you in Ohio? And he goes, Dayton. <laughs> and I go, well, that's not going to work. Thing that, the thing that I'll say is like cool about the stud stable, uh, Bunkhouse Book and Colonel Robert Parker, is you expect these guys to come in and fucking hate everything that a modern independent does. Especially what we do. Like, you know, there's high spots in the first match, uh, men wrestling women, all sorts of shit that you would expect – any guy that can't, comes from that era to fucking hate. And Bunkhouse Buck and Colonel Robert Parker, they sat on the bleachers and they watched like the entire show and they they fucking they loved it. And this wasn't like any lip service or anything. This is, you know, on the same show where, you know, the AIW students were doing a five minute slow motion spot. Um and they fucking they loved every minute of it. They could tell you everything that happened on the show. They watched they watched it like actual wrestling fans. And I expected the worst. I expected these guys to be like, "You don't fucking know what you're doing." I yeah, was purposely avoiding them in the locker room because I assumed that I was going to get yelled at by these territory veterans. Yeah, and Fuller kept like walking up to us, and I was expecting to get yelled at also. And he goes. I can't believe these two are uh, engaged and they're wrestling each other. Talking about Johnny and Candace, he loved it. Yeah, so you know, and like that sounds kind of crazy being promoters that are going to get yelled at by talent, but it's definitely a fear because you know these guys are in, you know, they're they are larger, certain way of, but they are larger than life guys, and they are people that we watched on television, you know. So it's like they, you know, they some of them come in with a you know I'm a I'm better than you attitude, and it's kind you know. 
it kind of is a, a somewhat of a standoffish thing at first when you're feeling out some of these people. And like the awesome thing about Fuller is now that he's like so ingrained with the AIW people, he just usually has a crew in the locker room surrounding him, and he tells stories. Yeah, he just talks about you know tells continental stories. He fucking sends the potato every show to get him a case of natural light. Because he calls himself the Natty Daddy, which I haven't had a fucking natural light since I was 17 years old, I don't think. I don't think any uh, over 21-year-old adult has ever bought a natural light to to actually drink it. But I guess Fuller, that's his beer of choice since... And, uh, uh, and he said the reason he likes it because it doesn't come in a 24-pack. It comes in a 30-pack. Yeah. And, you know, when Booker T showed up, he saw the colonel sitting down there with the fucking uh, natural lights. And he walked. he's like, you're still the natty daddy, huh? You're still drinking <laughs> that fucking garbage? And uh, Fuller loves it, man. He just passes out beer. And, uh, and, you know, not to reveal too much of the locker room, I think people think it's like a crazy environment down there. You go downstairs, Robert Fuller and Jock Sampson are drinking natty lights uh, and playing cards. And, you know, just talking about Continental and telling booking stories and, you know, just uh, to you, you could not buy that kind of, you know, that mm. kind of experience. Um, so, you know, stuff like that is cool. You know, it, Robert Fuller, Colonel Robert Parker, however you want to call him, somehow he got himself on a, like a like an AIW regular and he got himself a roster spot because he's just I so awesome booked, to be around. I, yeah, I think we booked. They were only booked for the one time, and then you and I had talked about it this, the first time we booked them, how cool they were, and we immediately booked them for, like, the next show, and we figured it out on the fly. And I guess, you know, we could kind of segue into, you know, booking another territory-ish person, which is Missy Hyatt, uh, which, you know, Missy Hyatt was just one of those weird ideas we had because, you know, that's another just obscure name that we could book that's never really been to the Cleveland area. And uh, I, I had sent her an email, and we, you know, we were trying to think of different ideas and she was just like, you know, just like fuller, like, Hey, I'm not interested. She was like, what's, you know, I, I just don't want to take any dates anymore. I fly out of Tallahassee. The travel days are awful. Uh, you know, I'm planning on retiring. I'm not really doing any Indies. It's, you know, yeah. Cause she said she re- basically retired in 2010. It was just not official. Right. So, you know, she was like, what do you have in mind? And, uh, I picture this angle, you know, where, She's going to be with Dick Justice, and uh, they're going to be they're going to be working with Jock Sampson and Robert Fuller. And uh, this is like a no bullshit story. I she, I don't know if she'll be mad at that. If I reveal this or not, but she essentially only agreed to take the date because Robert Fuller was on the other side because they fucking hated each other for the last thirty something odd years because she was mad that one of the times when Robert Fuller sold Continental. Uh, is, you know, whoever owned it at the time, I don't even know. David Woods, I think. David Woods. Uh, that's when Eddie Gilbert and Paul Heyman were booking. And, you know, that's, you know, probably in the era of, you know, the I'd like to talk to Tom and stuff like that. Yeah, like 88, 89. So I guess, you know, according to Missy in the email that she wrote me, is Fuller was like taking the booking ideas that Eddie Gilbert was doing on Continental and he was taking them and giving them the Memphis so Memphis could do those could could do those same angles on their TV, and she was fucking furious, and she essentially only agreed to take the booking because she wanted to come and avenge Eddie Gilbert's memory and kind of you know motherfuck Robert Fuller for stealing his booking ideas thirty years ago, um, and you know 
Biggins calls Fuller and he tells him the idea of working with Missy. Fuller hates Missy in return, does not want to work with Missy at all in this He's like, angle. I don't want to do nothing with I her. I don't want to do any spots with her. I don't, you know, I don't like her. And Missy, you know, on the other 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 end of things is saying, you know, I fucking hate you know, I hate like or dislike. Wanted to embarrass him. Yeah, like she essentially just wanted to come to Cleveland to motherfuck him on the microphone. Like she wanted to get like the you know like the the picture of him in a speedo printed up and pass it out to the crowd and saying he's like a, a fender or something. Yeah, like say like saying like don't uh, don't let this man in your local pool and stuff like that. And um, she essentially wanted to come. To avenge Eddie Gilbert's death, which I I think is fucking cool as shit, and Biggins thinks it's cool as shit, but we're trying to not tell either side. Like, hey, he hates you. Hey, she hates you. We're just hoping that they're gonna get there and things are gonna come together. When they're both saying they really don't want to work with each other, well, long story short, they get to AIW. They end up doing some things. They end up communicating backstage, and they end up bearing their heat that they've had for the last 30 plus years probably as long as you know we've been alive basically. yeah probably longer than you know just you know longer than a lot of people that come to AW have been alive they fucking despised each other and they come to AW they start talking they start playing cards with Jack Sampson and uh you know I guess, you know, they discussed whatever their issues were with each other over all these years. And I think they kind of compromised both ways. And they, you know, they end up burying the hatchet in the fucking basement of uh, Our Lady of Mount Carmel, which, you know, to me, that's a fucking, that's one of those stories that you can be involved in pro wrestling for 40 years and something like that is not going to happen. Like, that's something that I'll remember forever. And, you know, Missy wrote me a very nice long email just essentially saying like, hey, you know, we worked out our issues uh, they they ended up taking a photo together which uh it's just fucking how cool is that you know these two people that despised each other come together at an AIW show which who would have even thought to book them together anyway not you know not trying to give us this genius credit it's just it's so random and weird that we book them against each other on opposite sides and they end up burying their, you know, their heat that they had uh, over continental wrestling and Eddie Gilbert. Uh, to me, like, fucking that's what makes being involved in wrestling cool is shit like that. Uh, but, like, her email, like, she sent it to Thorne and then he forwarded it to me. But it was so long and so detailed and it almost made me tear up a little bit just because she talked about how, like, she hated independent wrestling and how so many people treated her wrong and agents treated her wrong and all these other people. And she said, like, in 2010, she basically retired. And she said, like, so many nice things about AIW and uh, how if we would have been like every independent show she would love wrestling and basically like we helped her fall in love with wrestling again it was crazy and like it was super sincere because she knew she was done it wasn't like she was trying to get more bookings like it was from her heart and it was so long and so thoughtful and it like it really like put a like a capitalization or an exclamation point to like her career how it's crazy that she basically she had one more show after us but, like, finished up with us, basically, and said how it was such a pleasure and how, like, it was a highlight of her career, which, you know, was so long. And it's crazy to think, like, you know, all these, like, we, we've, you know, more recently than not have worked with quite a few of these kind of legend-type people. And so many of them say, like, nobody knows who the fuck I am. Nobody talks to me. Nobody knows anything about my career when they book me. Uh, you know, and uh, an- another person like that was uh was when we booked terry funk 
Um, we had been trying to book Terry Funk for years. I got at, at least three years. I got his number when we booked uh, AIW Commish Tammy Sitch Sonny. That's how I got Terry Funk's number. So that was in 2007, and I had his number. Uh, ever since then, but I think we got real serious about it about three years ago. Yeah, and like we had tried, and he, you know, he wasn't interested. And I would call him occasionally, and you know, he would say, "Yeah, no, I don't want to do anything." And, and he would always put, kind of put down independent wrestling, also. Yeah, and he just wasn't really interested in in, in doing too much. Um, and you know, we probably at, at those times we couldn't really afford it anyway. But you know, uh, ever since we left Turner's Hall, you know, the crowds were up. Uh, we had more money to work with. So we're like, fuck it, like let's try to book Terry Funk. And I had called him, and I had, you know, had these long conversations well, with him. Well, even before that, um, Colt Cabana had gotten us involved with Dennis Stamp. Yeah, I, well, I guess we can't talk about Terry Funk without talking about booking Dennis Stamp. So Colt Cabana, we, we're in uh, multiple Facebook message groups with a million people. I think every day we probably have about 10 groups, different groups going with different people. And we have one with Colt Cabana. And one day out of the blue at like 9 a.m., he goes, would you guys be interested in booking Dennis Stamp? And it was something we had talked about for years. But number one, we had no contact with him. And number two... I heard that he was like on his deathbed, you know, multiple times, which was true. But he's, you know, he, his cancer went into remission. And we go, how do we contact this guy? And then Thorne called him. Yeah. So uh, Cabana gives me a number for him. And because uh, he was like, I want to, you know, I really want to have him on the Art of Wrestling. But he'll only have people on the Art of Wrestling if they're in person. And, uh, you know, I called Dennis Stamp and I talked to him and like. He cannot believe anybody is calling him. You know, it's just like in the movie, you know, like, um, and he f- proceeds to read me poetry on the phone for hours, for three hours, um, and just talking to me and has no idea, like, he has no idea of the, like, I don't know, like, the, you know, the cult following of Beyond the Mat has no fucking clue that anyone's even seen the movie. Like, totally oblivious to all of it. Because he thinks his entire fame is from AWA television. Yeah, AWA wrestling at the showboat. Uh, so he's just like, if, nobody must call him ever or something. So I end up talking to him for hours. And then he says, you know, he doesn't know. And then, um, you know, we end up, I call him again. And hours, and I'm like, I'm with Biggins, and I just put him on speakerphone, and he's reading me poems about Bret Hart and telling me stories about Japan, and like another phone call for hours talking to but Dennis. He still Tamp, won't commit, and he won't commit, and then finally, you know, we get him to agree, and he thinks it's a joke. He thinks this is some long drawn out rib that somebody that has a joke to play on him, you know, or some kind of you know vendetta against him. So he proceeds to call me once a week. Am I still booked? I'm like, yeah, Dennis, you're still booked. He goes, are you sure? I go, yep. I go, then I, you know, I sent him his flight information. He can't believe it. Like, can't believe somebody's <laughs> actually bought him, a, purchased him a flight from Amarillo, Texas. Um, and then, you know, he comes and he has, the, you know, he comes and he does the show. And we, you know, uh, we ended up doing things where, where he actually wrestled with Grado. And Grado was a huge fan of Dennis Stamp. And, and it De- was just a fluke thing. It just came together. And Dennis Stamp cannot believe that people know who he is and you know, love him because beyond the mat. And like, we ended up hanging out with Dennis Stan for like two and a half straight days. And, uh, all I kept asking was, I go, you got to get us Terry. Where's Terry. You got to get us Terry. Yeah. We're like, how do we book Terry? And he says, you know, him and Terry go to Denny's all the time. And 
that's you know really the only person he still talks to in wrestling. Which the story is he he, he made I said. We'll take you anywhere in Cleveland. We'll buy you the best steak in town. And he goes, I really want to go to IHOP because he goes, Dennis, or he goes, when Dennis was saying when he hangs out with Terry, Terry only wants to go to Denny's because he's a cheapskate. Yeah, and Denny's is cheaper than, than IHOP. So he wanted us to treat him to a nice, classy dinner at IHOP. Uh, so we did this. And, um, you know, long story short, Dennis Stamp goes home. He ends up calling me when he gets home and basically saying that we had saved his life because he had been in such a deep depression after beating cancer. Um, he had nothing to do with his life because he couldn't, you know, he was the king of the cockroaches, <laughs> but uh, he couldn't, you know, do exterminating they, or they anything. think the chemicals uh, causes cancer. So anyway, we say, you know, we want to book, uh, we want to book Terry Funk. Him and Terry end up going to Denny's. Uh, he puts in a good word for us. I call Terry. Uh, we talk. For, he still said no, though. Yeah, we talk time. for a lot. He still says no. He says, call me back in two weeks. I call him again. He says, I don't know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so meanwhile, you know, the show's in 15 days. We say, Terry Funk's not coming. Fuck it. You know, we'll try it again another day. We book all these other people, little Guido, who's the fucking best. Uh, so much, like, we, we load up the show with different people. My phone rings. It says, Terry Funk. I go, motherfucker. I go, he's going to do the show. And I go, we're not going to even be able to afford it. He calls me and he goes, hey, John, Terry Funk. I said, yeah. He goes, I got you my book for October 16th. <laughs> I said, yeah, Terry, but you never told me if you'd lo- want to do it. He goes, I'd love to. And I go, fuck. Didn't uh, you say, like, I'll call you right back? I'll call you right back. And then you call me and you're like, what should I do? And I'm like, fuck it, man. Like, we'll figure it out. Yeah, let's just book it. And like, let's Terry Funk. plasma or something. Yeah, Terry Funk is fucking uh, pretty pricey. So I booked Terry Funk. Uh, he comes in and he is the fucking best dude ever. I don't. Well, well, I do my same thing about the, I'll buy you the best steak. And he goes, where'd you take Dennis? And I said, I hop. He goes, I would love I hop. Yeah. So I showed up drunk to meet Terry Funk at I hop. Cause I was at like, uh, some work function. And, uh, I just started asking Terry Funk about like wrestling, Mr. Pogo and FMW and like, all this shit that I would watch when I was a fucking teenager. And so we're at IHOP and they're closing down and they kept it open because the guy recognized Terry Funk from Roadhouse. Yeah, he goes, are you, <laughs> are you the guy from the movie Roadhouse? <laughs> so they kept, like, they kept, while they're cleaning up IHOP, they let us stay there and hang out. And uh, Terry Funk at the end of it looks at us and he goes, the only reason I'm doing your show, boys, is because you treated my best friend Dennis so well. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and then so on the phone he told Thorne nothing physical. Yeah, he said he wouldn't do anything physical, and uh, then after we hang out with him, he goes, eh, "Maybe I'll throw a couple punches." Biggins was trying to get him to plastic bag the Duke. Oh, I was without telling the Duke. I had plastic bags had in so every many, pocket. He had so many plastic bags in his pocket. <laughs> he kept giving Terry. Funk. I, kept, I, I think I handed him at least five bags. I go, Terry, keep this for later. He kept going, bag them, bag them. <laughs> but. Uh, so Terry gets to the show and he's fucking awesome. And I don't know why I felt so comfortable with Terry Funk, but I was just like fucking with him all day. I pick up little Guido and then we go to pick up Terry Funk and I pick up Terry Funk playing his like fucking uh, his music album from Japan <laughs> where he's born Texan and he's so fucking embarrassed. He's turning this fucking shit off. Turn this fucking shit off. He's like fucking throwing punches at me. He's like, you can't fucking embarrass me in front of fucking Guido. I've known fucking Guido for 25 years. I'm, you can't fucking hear this shit. Uh, and, and so he gets to the show 
and in the locker room, he's just, you know, uh, holding court. He's just the coolest dude. And I start feeding him beers. I go, Terry, you want a beer? And he goes, well, fuck yeah. Give They're me free? One. They're free? So Terry just starts fucking pounding beers. And and he, the Duke describes the look Terry Funk had. Like, his Duke is all like, oh, I can't wait to work with Funk. He's so awesome. Uh, he said Terry Funk had the uh, like the eyes of like an old veteran that remembers the war. He said like the Terry Funk that came out of the entranceway with a chair was a different Terry Funk than that was downstairs. Yeah, so it's, so the spot Terry Funk said he would throw one punch. Comes out with a chair that comes was out with a chair and just fucking destroys everything. DDT on the floor, throwing chairs, fucking destroys the whole. None of that was supposed to happen. That's just Terry Funk just came out and the crowd popped and knew who he was because I I think you know. Like he's another one of those guys that like feels like nobody even know like nobody remembers me. Well, well, the sad part is he said he hated independent wrestling before AIW because he says he goes to shows and none of the wrestlers know who he is and none of the fans know who he is. And he said especially he loves to give people advice and like tell stories. And he says most independent shows he goes to nobody appreciates him. And it's like this is Terry Funk, probably one of the best of all time. Like you could get something out of him. So Terry Funk ends up fucking destroying everything. Uh, goes on, we go on and fucking drink all night long. He fucking gets in my car. Total fucking Texas road veteran is just cracking Bud Lights in my car, oh. dry, throwing them fucking at the fucking and, and, signs. And I'm just like Terry, like it's fucking 2015, man. You can't be fucking throwing beer cans at fucking road signs in the city. But uh, the best part was him and Guido were just doing this. But they had uh, they had the bar. It was like a dive bar. So all they had were like the chip clipped to the wall. So him and Ter- Guido and Terry had bought probably about 15 bags of these snack size bags of chips. Well, before I don't even know if anyone will care about this. But when I'm rolling in with Terry to the hotel, we were going to go to the hotel bar and I see little Guido take off. In a, the fastest sprint I've ever seen in my life. Like a man running at one thirty in the morning. Like I thought he was chasing somebody. Somebody tried to rob him. You know, we're staying in kind of a shifty hotel. We're at the Jaylet Hotel. This fucking guy dead sprint right up the road into the darkness. Not one minute later, my phone buzzes. Text message: Little Guido. Hey John, went to the hotel bar and they closed down. So I ran until I found an open bar. I'm up on the left at the Fafooses. They're going to stay open because Terry Funk's coming. <laughs> so we fucking head up there. Terry Funk walks in with his own can of beer. Uh, they're yelling at him. He's not listening. Out of his mind. Terry Funk. And we just fucking ended up sitting in there. It was I, don't, I, I don't know if this is interesting to anybody listening, but sitting at a bar with Little Guido and Terry Funk and nobody else. No, it, literally all it was was you, me, Glenn Moore, Smartmark Video, Gary and Shannon, and Guido and Funk. And Funk is just holding court. He's holding court, stories. just telling stories. It and was it was amazing. Fucking awesome. He was uh, he was a mother effing because he wanted because two weeks uh, two weeks from there it was Lawler versus Funk and I was going there. I was telling him I was gonna go and he was motherfucking. Because he goes, I don't want to give those fuckers money. Everybody to the, to the was the wall. It was great. Yeah. So like he. Uh, Terry goes home, calls me in the mo- or no. Terry calls me in the morning, missed his flight because he was fucking still hammered. But he goes, "Don't worry about it. I'll fucking figure it out." Just wanted to call and let you know. Calls me the next day, 
and literally made me cry on the telephone because he told me what a great time that he had and how like respectful we were and how like he hasn't been treated so well in such a long time and uh and everything Dennis said was true it, yeah and like uh you know to hear that from fucking Terry Funk man that's like that's some fucking heavy shit and and he's another guy that could have hated the show and he wasn't trying to get fucking more work or anything and he was just like I don't want you to ever book me ever again he goes I just want to call and tell you what a you know how respectful you treated me and how much it meant to me. And like, you know, now, you know, Terry Funk has, you know, he'll occasionally call me, which is uh, uh, fucking awesome for me. And butt FaceTime you. Yeah, sometimes he butt dials me. Uh, but only on FaceTime. Yeah, with a FaceTime. But, uh, you know, it, it, you know I, I don't know if fucking people care about this story or not, but fucking Terry, like hanging out with fuck guys like Terry Funk and Robert Fuller and even Dennis Stamp, man, it's fucking like you can't, you, like, you can't get those sorts of experiences fucking doing anything else but being a pro wrestling promoter. And, and like, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of American history, they call the World War II generation the greatest generation. And it's almost like these people that came up in the 70s and 80s are probably the greatest generation of professional wrestling. And, like, they're not going to be around forever. And the fact that people book them and don't take advantage of them in, like, getting their resources of their minds, like... You know, we ask Fuller all the time, like, hey, what happens when this happens or, you know, this or that. And uh, Funk was just like telling stories and like they're not going to be around forever, especially, uh, you know, a lot of them are at advanced age. And uh, I can't believe people don't take advantage of their resources. Yeah, I mean, you know, you can't like to, to get those experiences like you can't put a fucking price tag on that because, you know, like you can book every indie guy in the world and they can have a good match. But like. Booking some of these guys, like, it's, you know, it's so much more, you know, it's like getting a fucking college education. And, and in a weird way, it's very strange that these people we watched when we were growing up are telling us, like, how much they respect us and what we do. And it's it's kind of like vouches for us uh, in the professional wrestling business when we, you know, we definitely at least have to us, be, At least, you know, to ourselves, because, you know, it's very easy to get down or, like, not know if you're doing a good job or not. But, like... You know, when Terry Funk calls you and, like, just wants to tell you that, and if, you know, anybody that's met Terry Funk, I don't know who has. He's a very matter-of-fact motherfucker. And uh, for him to call and tell me that, like, dude, that's made being involved in wrestling so worth it. Like, I can't even I can't even describe and, it. And none of these people are saying anything to their benefit. You know what I mean? Like, uh, none of them are being like, oh, uh, you guys are great. Book me again. Like, the, the colonel, it takes a little convincing every time to get the colonel back. Yeah, but you know, uh, like it's just, it's awesome having these people around, especially having like young students in an AIW school and people that you know. Some of these students probably don't even know who the fuck these guys are. When but most like, of the, when most of the students uh, discovered wrestling with Edge, yeah, like, it's kind of cool <laughs> to have uh, these people talk to the students and help them. It's and- like almost having like a living time capsule that they can just you know. There's so much knowledge there, and you know, for me, you know, like it's. It's so hard to appreciate wrestling being involved in it so long. You know, you just get kind of like, you know, stale to it or whatever, you know, just like it just it's just all kind of flatline. But like stuff like that, like, you know, Terry Funk, Robert Fuller, you know, Bunker. It's kind of like a high spot. Yeah. Or like Missy Hyatt, like stuff like that. It's just like, holy shit. Like it, you know, it kind of brings you back to like the reality of like, you know, not everybody is involved in in professional wrestling. Not Not everybody can have these experiences. So like. Uh, you know, maybe it sounds lame or whatever, but like 
booking some of these people are fucking like has what made you know all you know like all I would the say, dumb stuff that we go through worth it. Like I would say, probably the last year of AIW is my favorite, and uh, I might say that every year because you know it's like more recent. But it definitely feels like the last year everything's really connected, and I think a lot of it's with the uh, the veteran influence. Yeah. So I mean, you know, uh, and Robert Fuller stole my idol. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if uh, you know people enjoyed this episode or not. Listening to this kind of fucking nerd out about uh, these guys that we idolize, but. Um, yeah, you know, that's just kind of part of what goes with the territory of, uh, you know, booking a territory. And one thing when, when we drop Funk off the, at the hotel, you know, go to the shake his hand goodbye, like, thank you, you know, for everything tonight. And he goes, oh, we don't shake hands, we hug. And he hugged everybody goodbye. I know he was pissed drunk, but yeah. still, Terry Funk want to give you a hug and then he puts you in a headlock. Like, that's... It's fucking great. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. Right? And, and to know that he didn't even want to come for three years. Yeah, yeah. like, you know, it's... Uh, so, yeah, you know, stuff like that is just fucking, uh, you know, memories that, you know, we'll have forever, the people that were there. And, like, it was also cool to be able to, you know, bring these guys to Cleveland for, you know, people like us that aren't necessarily involved in wrestling that, you know idolize people like Terry Funk and can come and meet him and, you know, have a conversation with him and take a photo with him. Like, you know, that's what I'm talking, you know, I've talked on previous podcasts. That's, that's creating the live experience. Um, you know, that's memories people are going to have forever. People will remember I met Terry Funk at AIW forever. If that was one of their idols. And you're creating, you're creating more history being learned because you're having guys that may not know Terry Funk. They are Googling Terry Funk, watching YouTube matches. So they're learning, Right, you know, it's just kind of like a them. like a full circle thing. Yep. So, um, I don't know how many more guys like guys like that are left for us to book, but the list is dwindling. But uh, we're gonna we're gonna keep trying to do cool stuff like that for you know as long as we can. All right, episode eight card is going to change. Presented by AIW, sponsored by Smart Mark Video, and then this is awesome wrestling show. Make sure to subscribe, leave a comment, rate on iTunes, Stitcher, and the Google Play Store. Follow AIW on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and visit the website AIWrestling.com for events, merch, and more. Leave feedback on the episode on Twitter and Facebook. And for John Thorne and Chandler Biggins, I'm Glenn Moore. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks.